Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bring the Vegas gaming experience to the palm of your hand. Bet your favorite team, try your luck in a casino, or our poker room. The earliest sports lines and the biggest limits online. Lots of deposit options. Bet on live events as they happen. The next play, the next score. Get winnings fast or roll them into a parlay and win even more. Visit Bet Online today and see what millions of customers have experienced for over 20 years. On third and three, they protect Brady. Scans the field and lets it fly. It's Evans. It's a touchdown. This is the big nasty. Yeah, big nasty. All fame Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, baby. This is Mike Allstott, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother. You ain't listening, and you're missing out. Woo! And then the cannons go. Fire them. Keep on firing them. Keep on firing them. Hello and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Rep Matthew. Joined alongside me, my good buddy and co-host from BoxNation.com, Mr. Evan Wanish. And, of course, joining us today, very special guest, good friend of the show. Pleasure to have you back. It's our guy Gene from Buck, What You Heard. Today we are breaking down the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' Week 3 loss to the Green Bay Packers. Saying it's a frustrating game would be a bit of an understatement here. 14-12, to 12, your final score in that one. Not sure if there's any records for Scorigami. Not that I heard of. But, uh, you know, the Bucs only putting up 12 points. Definitely not what a lot of people thought it would be coming into this game. I know that I had expected fireworks, and we certainly didn't get any of those. But just an offensive slog. It was painful at times to sit through and watch this team try and put something together on offense. But both sides of the ball, I thought it was a rough start for the defense. We'll talk about how they were able to bounce back and only hold Green Bay to 14 points. There's a lot to cover. There is so much to cover. And I feel like early on in the season, you learn a lot more about your team through losses like this than you do wins like Dallas. And I know we learned a lot about this team against New Orleans. But in the long run, we were talking about it before the podcast. Gene, you had kind of alluded to it. Week five, week six is really where you get a general idea of where this team is going to be headed in the long run, especially now that health is such a factor. But Gene, let me get your thoughts first, just like an overall consensus from this game, because I I have so much to say, but I could sit here and talk about it for 35 minutes straight. And I'm not going to do that. Well, uh, first off, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh my takeaway from the game is this a learning experience. You're going up against the Green Bay Packers, who uh, a lot of people have picked them to uh, go to the Super Bowl and, and potentially win. Uh, when you look at the injuries that, that you have and these uh, backups and the meaningful reps they're getting, um, I, I thought that Tampa did better than I expected them to, just with the um, loss of talent. I mean, when you look and Russell Gage is your starting a wide receiver, you've got Rashard Perryman, uh, Scotty Miller. Uh, it reminds you a little bit of the Rams game in the playoffs and the huge drop-off that you had with uh, wide receiver talent. And, um, you know, the Bucs could never really truly recover from that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, along with the other injuries. So, uh, to me, this is a, a, great learning, a great learning experience for the Bucs. And, you know, again, it gives them something that they know that they need to work on, to be honest. 
Yeah, it definitely does. And um, I think a lot of people can agree that just like you said, Gene, it was kind of similar to the Rams game and that, you know, not only are you without wide receiver talent, but you're also still missing. Uh, you're down to your third string left tackle. I know in the Rams game, they were down to you know, Josh Wells at right tackle, but uh, and Brandon Walton, who had played well in New Orleans last week, struggled at times this week. And, and that's going to happen with an inexperienced player like that. And I, I think, you know, it was there was. There was a lot of encouraging things, but there was also some things I wouldn't call this game frustrating. I would call it unfortunate uh, because to me, it's unfortunate that the Bucks couldn't even have somewhat of a healthy offense because I think even if they had like Mike Evans and Julio Jones, let's say they don't have Chris Godwin, I think they might have been able to squeak out a win. It might have been ugly, but I think they might have been able to squeak out a win. They just, they didn't have enough. I mean, you want to know how bad it is. Cole Beasley, who was on the team for five days and practiced three times, he was on the field during the two-point attempt. Like, that's how bad and how desperate they were for wide receiver depth. So, uh, you know, it just, it was the losses that they had due to injuries, and you can't blame it all on injuries. They still had to play well. Uh, but the losses that they had due to injuries on the offensive side of the ball were just a bit too much to overcome against the Green Bay defense, which I think is one of the better ones in the NFL. I mean, you go into this missing your starting left tackle and Donovan Smith. You miss Mike Evans, who's serving a one-week suspension, should be back next week against Kansas City. You're missing Chris Godwin, who we all knew was going to win, the, uh, who we all knew was going to miss this game. Julio Jones, they considered him a true game time decision. After it comes out, he's dealing with a partially torn PCL. So as soon as I saw that headline, I was like, oh, yeah, there's no way he's playing today. So you go in there without Julio Jones. We can talk a lot about the practice squad wide receivers that were out there. But just like you had mentioned briefly, Evan, I I mean, these guys just had to play better because what frustrates me, and this is where I get frustrated. And, yeah, a lot of people can put this behind them already. We're already looking forward to Kansas City given that that game doesn't get moved due to the, due to the uh, impending hurricane this week. But, I mean, you're looking ahead to Kansas City, but I get frustrated when I think about this Green Bay game because even though they lost the turnover battle, even though they had countless penalties that negated rhythm on offense, which they could not find for the entire game, even though all of that happened, they still had a chance to come back and win this game. You execute, you get the two point, you go to overtime. I'm not saying they would have won if they had gone to overtime. Overtime, it's it's a coin flip. They had plenty of chances right there, and they just could not do it. Scotty Miller, I believe, had five targets, only one catch. He did not do a damn thing. Um, There were certain guys on this team who were in roles to step up, Rashad Perryman being one of those. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to do it. It's hard to to lump expectations on a guy like Cole Beasley, who's been on the team for less than a week, didn't get a ton of snaps, but he got three catches. He looked good. We also saw the debut of Kyle Rudolph, even though I think he got like 15% of the offensive snaps. But, I mean, these guys have to execute better because at the end of the day, I know that this team is coming together. I know that you're playing with reserves, but you have to play better. Yeah. Uh, real quick, we got to keep in mind that this could have playoff implications yeah. uh, at the, towards the end of the season. Um, this this could have everything to do with seeding. Uh, you know, the this was a game. This is a game that the Bucks needed to win. Yep. I mean, if you're talking about playoff, you know, the big playoff picture. Whereas Kansas City, not so much because yep. they are an AFC team. So um, again, we may be looking back on this game at the end of the year and saying, you know, what if. Yeah, I, I think I, I brought that up on on the game preview show that like 
I think I thought this game was bigger than a Kansas City game. Of course, obviously, Kansas City is going to be on prime time Sunday night football, but uh, in the Super Bowl rematch. But yeah, this game in terms of seeding, it could be huge. You know, right now it doesn't seem significant, but when you're sitting there week 16, week 17, and the Bucks are trying to get the potential one seed, if the Packers are standing in their way, you're going to look at that two point loss. And, and you're, you're like you said, you're going to say, well, what if this would have gone different? What if this yeah. play would have done differently? And then the whole Bucks season could change. You know, we were talking about a first round buy or like, that's a big deal. So, yeah. um, you know, it was definitely a, a tough one, not only because you lost your first game of the year, but because that could have implications, like you said, down the line. Well, unfortunately, too, you know, the Bucks have kind of lucked out with timing like this before. But it seems like if you're going to pick a week to lose, I know you don't want to lose to Green Bay because of those long term implications. But a couple of other teams you wanted to lose lost. Right. Uh, the Saints lost this weekend. They drop one to Carolina. So that puts them even further behind in the division race, which means these next couple of division games up here on the schedule. If the Bucs can go out there and play well enough to win those games, they could wrap this thing up by the time these two teams meet again later on in the season. All of that still yet to be determined. But let's dive into the offense a little bit more. And let's talk about the quarterback, Tom Brady, the man of the hour here. Kind of an interesting day for Brady. I don't think anyone's upset with him by any means. We talk a lot about the offensive struggles, but they are due in no part to TB12 under center. His day looked like this, uh, 31 for 42, 271 yards, a touchdown, did not turn the ball over. With a 14 to 12 score, I, no way you would have told me that Brady was going to throw the ball 42 times, and that's only, you know, 12 points is the result of that. I, I mean, it was clear in the first half of this game they wanted to establish the run, but I mean, really only 12 carries, 35 yards for <laughs> Leonard Fournette, so that kind of went away quickly, and... In the second half, it felt like this team was was just playing from behind. It felt like they were playing from behind more than they were. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Felt like it was it was a bigger deficit than it actually right, was. Right, right. It was an eight-point game for most of the game. I know Green Bay had a hot start, and props to the defense. We'll talk to them shortly, but they got 14 points for the entire game. They did mm -hmm. jack squat in the second half. And uh, this team was still just out there really trying to throw the football to, to not a lot of success. Well, yeah. and, and, and here's the thing. So they found success in the first drive. The first drive was one of their best drives of the year, right? Uh, they they start off with a play action pass, the first play of the game, the Brashad Perryman for about 20 yards or so. Um, but then poor execution leads to them having to kick a field goal. And that's yeah. the issue that when the team gets down there, they just, they can't, they have such a struggle this year so far of turning. When they get down in the red zone, they can't score touchdowns. And it, it, it really hurt them on that first drive because you, know, you go up seven, nothing. And you know then the whole game could have maybe changed. Um Instead, you have to kick a field goal. Green Bay goes down, takes the lead. And then after that, yeah, they really didn't have a drive until right before the half. And then the Rashad Perryman fumble happened when Perryman was in field goal range. It's just they didn't – I don't even know if they – at times they did move the ball well. It just seems like they are just inept in being able to score points. And a lot of it is self-inflicted. I think that's the frustrating thing is a lot of it is – like you said, the penalties, the turnovers, uh, Russell Gage's fumbles at the 50 yard line, you know, like it's, we there, got, a, go ahead. This, we got to see the greatest run of the TB 12 era. <laughs> all right. An 18 yard gain by nobody else except the 45 or um, yeah, 45 year old quarterback out there doing his thing. That is negated by a penalty on your left tackle. Yeah. Like it just, it's to, back be, to be fair. 
to be fair, if he doesn't hold him, Brady sacks. So yeah, you know. I, I mean that's fair. That is so th- this kind of reminds me of 2018, where the Bucks would continue to go down the field. There would be a back-breaking penalty, uh, a drive-killing uh, incompletion, or you know the quarterback not doing what he needed to do at that time. But that's not. I'm not comparing the two, but I'm just saying it's what it reminds me of. Where they start to get momentum, they start to get a rhythm, and then you have a you have a, a turnover, or a you know wide receiver doesn't catch the ball like he's supposed to. It doesn't do his job, and um, then you're off the field. It's three and out. You're you're putting your defense back on the field again, and uh, you know again this is something that they ha- they have to get this fixed. Uh, there, I know that we're gonna uh, and have they announced who is going to get cut with uh, Mike Evans coming back is. They have, I, they have not they have not yet announced it. No, they need to make a move. I believe by four p.m. today, but they haven't right. announced what the roster okay. is. I believe they called up Geiger for this game, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, yeah, but he's not on the active roster. Okay. Technically, when you're suspended, technically Mike Evans didn't count towards the roster spot. So right, okay. Yeah, and and do you guys feel like Scotty Miller? I I was really disappointed. I've since he's been announced as a, as a, you know being on a 53 man roster. I just even on special teams, I haven't seen where he's shined this year. Yeah, he's just yeah, he yeah, he's he, I he's just not good. Yeah, like, I, just, I, they're, I, they're they're trying to give him every opportunity, and he just he can't seem to grab it at all. Well, and that's the issue, at least that I have, is that this wasn't the first game where Scotty Miller was in a situation where he kind of had to step up a little bit. Uh, last week against New Orleans, he had a couple of targets he couldn't reel in, and granted, they were tough catches. You still got to make those catches. You know what I'm saying? Like you're an yeah, NFL yeah. If you, football player. If you player. want to hold on to a spot in this receiver room, yeah, you got to you got to make those. Yeah, catches. and I mean, he was tripping over his feet last week. Just could not find anything at all this week. Um, I don't know if Scotty gets cut today. That would be a surprise to me. To be honest I, with you, I, like I, I don't, don't know. I don't know if he lasts the whole year, though. I'm I don't know if he that. lasts the whole year. I don't know if I. I don't know if it happens today. Maybe it does. Maybe by the time this releases, he's already off of the roster, and we'll be doing another podcast about that. But um, I, I'd like to think he sticks around a couple of more weeks. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but when you are battling injury the way this receiver room is, you need all the help you can get. And even if it's not great help, he is there. He is under yeah. contract, and uh, you know they're gonna figure something out until they can. Yeah, I, I like that Tom Brady was continuing to try to get the ball over to uh, Cole Beasley. I, you know, I, you could tell he's not in football shape, but he was out there playing. It, it was obvious. He was gassed on uh, that that last uh, series that he was in. He, you could tell he was gassed. And I, I'm excited to see what he can do. I think he'll be on the roster. I don't think they they move on from him. I think he's too too valuable. He's somebody that, you know, Tom Brady could potentially go to. So, uh you know, there are a lot of goods, but then there are there are a lot of things that they just need to clean up uh, clock management, uh, some play calling. So um, it's just a lot they, they need to work on, but they're not it's not all doom and gloom. Jump out the mm-hmm. window as a lot of fans think that it is. And the reason it's not all doom and gloom for me is because I do believe that, you know, when this offense, you know, hopefully it does. But when this offense gets healthy, like they're going to naturally be better. 
because yeah. Mike Evans is a really good player. Julio Jones went healthy as a really good player. Chris Godwin went on the field as a really good player. So naturally, like, will there be things they have to clean up? Yeah. Like, you know, the yeah. offensive line, Luke Gedeke and Robert Hansey will need to stay consistent when Donovan Smith returns. And, you know, they're still going to need more probably out of their out of their tight ends receiving-wise. Um, they're going to need to run the ball a bit more consistently uh, and obviously clean up the penalties. But as terms of, like, weapons, like, that's not really what I'm concerned about. Like, naturally, like, by week six or seven, like, this offense will look better. Like, I don't have too many concerns about that. But it's just, like you said, with, with games like this, only scoring 12 points, that, that, that hurts you. And, and, you know, in a huge NFC game like that, it's 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 tough. And like I said, it's unfortunate that they were down as many guys as they were. Now, there were some encouraging signs out of it. Russell Gage, aside from the fumble, looked like the guy they paid $10 million to. Um, he, he finally looked like that guy had a great grab in the end zone for the touchdown. Uh, he got know, lit I, up, man. Yeah, he, 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 did, he <laughs> I was did. I was glad to see he held on to that. Good touchdown for Russell yeah, Gage. But but the one thing um before we, we move on to a little bit different part of the offense or defense, whatever, uh they need to still get better on third down. And it's just it's not good enough. So this is from Greg Allman last night. Uh, the Bucks went two for eleven on third down today, and both of those conversions were on third and one. Brady on third down was four for seven, 23 yards, and he, two sacks, and he threw to the touchdown to Gage in the last minute. The yards needed on those nine misses were 1, 5, 12, 12, 10, 9, 13, 7, and then the one, the 31 after they got the penalty. and like, But the 12, 12, 10, 9, 13, that, that's too long. Like it, it's too long to, to get, it's just, it can't continue that way. And mm. a lot of it's because of what they do on first and second down. They, they essentially almost seem to like waste some downs and it's just the, that's where the play calling has to be better. and has to be more consistent. Yeah. I wanted to mention briefly the offensive line. I know they were going into this with a makeshift offensive line. You missed they your were left okay. tackle. They were okay, but Brandon Walton, we talked with Sean King earlier this week about how longevity is going to start to expose some of these backup guys. And honestly, I think that's just, I think that's what we can sum up what happened to him that night. Growing pains. Yeah, there's going right. to be ups and downs. And then, but, uh, but go ahead. Real quick, uh, these are meaningful reps for these guys. These guys aren't going to be starters all year uh, in, in certain positions. Uh, you will have your starters back at some point. And uh, these guys will they'll benefit from games like this, you know, moving down the line. I don't want to give out participation trophies or, you know, the, but I, I just feel like them getting out here playing and getting worked or whatever gives them something to work on. And it makes them, you know, a, a, a better part of the offensive line, you know, as you get into the mid middle part of the season going into the back end of the season. Yeah, three sacks allowed on the day. Tom Brady going down. That's on the higher end of, you know, a Tom Brady offensive line here in Tampa Bay. So hopefully with the standard they have set for themselves, they can be a little more well-equipped next week as they face off against Kansas City. One last thing I wanted to talk about on the offensive side of the ball. Evan, you talked about the efficiency rating. And, I mean, just looking at third down, that's what's going to stick out more than anything. Two for 11 yeah, what did you make of the play calling? You're not you're not going to win many football games going two for eleven on third. No, down. no, you're not. You're not going to win many football games doing that, turning the ball over twice the way that they did. And I know that play calling is obviously going to be limited. You don't have quite as many pages when you're missing a Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Julio Jones. I mean, there were no superstars on this offense. You know, you could consider Leonard Fournette that, but they shut him down. But, well, but does that mean you run a, a triple no. reverse? Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. I it, listen. 
I wanted to get your thoughts on the play calling. Uh, it was pretty interesting how it didn't seem like, you know, what stuck out most to me is that there were so many times where this offense just could not find any rhythm at all. But lo and behold, with a chance to win the game and about three minutes left on the clock, Tom Brady takes this offense 89 yards and he made it look easy. I mean, Tom Brady running the two minute drill is is literally one of the best to ever do it. It's a work of art. It's man, 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 man. Oh, man. That play, though, that little reverse end around fake flea flicker. I don't know what they were going for, but it was a loss of 12 yards and it pissed me off more than anything else they did on Sunday. Yeah, I um, I I didn't I didn't hate the play calling like all day. Like I I didn't hate it. They they threw the ball more. They threw the ball more on first down. Like I think there was some progress made in terms of that. It wasn't as frustrating for me to watch. Uh, they weren't trying to me in the first half. Maybe a little like trying to force the run, but in the second half they made some adjustments, particularly in that two minute stretch when Perryman had the fumble. You know, like they they were pretty good and they they got away from forcing the run and force feeding it. So I think that helped. Um, so I, I didn't hate the play calling. I think out of all three games, this was actually probably my favorite play calling game. That's not saying much, but uh, in terms of just game plan, however, I understand trying to get something going. I understand trying mm-hmm. to mix it up. I get that. But when your offense is struggling and you're n- near midfield at that point, that was after I believe the, the Darden 25 yard catch. You're you're struggling to get anything going, and it's getting late in the game. Mm-hmm. You can't do that type of play. You know how many things have to go right for that play to be successful. It's just it's too many, especially when your offense is hasn't even scored a touchdown, hasn't come anywhere close to the end zone. That's just that's just dumb. So I hope that today they took that page in the playbook and just ripped it out, and, and it'll never see the light of day again, but I didn't have an issue with the play calling outside of a few things, and that being obviously the biggest one. That was pitiful. Now, I can I could see that if the Bucks offense has had the defense on their heels yes, all yes. game, that's where you pull that play out. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought that this it was ill-advised to run that play at this point. Um, you're, you're moving the ball a little bit. I mean, I, I would considered you know doing that at a different time it's just not it wasn't the ideal time to to call that play i don't hate it i just don't like where they they utilized it at and uh it's just one of those things again i heard a lot of people didn't like you know byron leftwitz and his play calling and i heard a lot of people complaining but you look at the missed opportunities that wide receivers had dropping passes and um you know rounding off routes not running clean routes i mean there's a lot more to this than just, you know, Byron Leftwich didn't call the right play or the O-line didn't do what they needed to do. Everybody, yeah. there's enough blame for everybody. Gotta, they got to execute. Everybody's got to execute. Exactly. It's, do yeah, your but, job. Yeah, Byron Leftwich isn't out there running the routes and catching mm-hmm. the ball and throwing the ball, making yeah. the decisions for Tom Brady. It's You, you got to execute. So it's, it's partly play calling, but it's also yeah. like the players just got to do their jobs, just like you said. Because if you think about it and they execute, they, they make that catch. We're not talking about Byron Leftwich. You can't mention him because, you know, the player did his job. Yeah, and that's yeah. just because it's on saying, both sides of the. Yeah, you'd be saying what a momentum swing and that's a great call. And if it mm-hmm. works, it's a great call. But if it doesn't, you're it's a boneheaded call. Well, yeah. it's a it's a funny thing, too. And I guess this argument is in favor to people who, you know, either want to credit or discredit Byron. I guess it could go both ways. You mm-hmm. can't have your cake and eat it, too. But a lot of people on Twitter this weekend were saying, you know, look at this offense early on. I know they've been working with spare parts. But 
when you compare a Bruce Arians offense to a Byron Leftwich offense and people who just assume that Bruce Arians had nothing at all to do with the offensive game plan or what went into it, you know, look at look at what's happening right now. I mean, the Bucs are in the bottom half of offensive production in the NFL. And yeah, I know it's early in the year. We got a lot of football left to play. And it's almost like something we have to put on every single take on this show. Health is always a factor. But yeah, the guys out there just did not play well. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. And John Ledyard uh, brought up a, a good point um, when he was talking about uh, the, the play calling thing. And he said, you know, while that play call is terrible, people need to think about what has changed. Byron's offense last year was very pass heavy in neutral situations. It was a lot pass heavier on first down than people think. Best first down EPA slash play team in the NFL. So what changed? There are only He said there are only three realistic possibilities. And I agree with all three. He said Byron secretly always wanted to do things differently than Bruce, and he said not likely. He said Bowles is pushing slash mandating emphasis on the run, possible, and the Bucks' injuries at wide receiver and the O-line are changing Leftwich's approach, possible. I think it's a combination of Bowles wanting to run the ball a bit more and also the injuries sort of hampering what they want to do. I think it's – I don't think – Leftwich wants to do anything different than Arians or whatever, but I think it's Bowles wanting to be a little re- less risky. He doesn't want Brady throwing the ball 45, 50 times a game, but I also think their offensive game plans would be different if they had Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Donovan Smith. They had, they had all these guys out there. I think their game plans would be different. So it, it goes hand in hand with the players you have available, but also like Green Bay, they had, they were banged up. You know, they were banged up and they were able to scheme guys open. The problem with the Bucks scheme, and this isn't going to change uh, until, you know, way down the line when this whole regime is gone after this era is done, basically. And maybe it won't even change then, but the Bucks scheme relies on talent over actual scheme. So the Bucks, Mike Evans has to win his one-on-one to get open. Chris Gowan has to win his one-on-one to get open. The Packers, they're running pick plays. They're doing this. They're doing that to get guys open. The Bucs just don't do that. And the Bucs offense, they've been a top offense the last three years. So it's worked. It's just the issue is when you have the lack of, you know, star talent at the wide receiver yep. position, when you're down Mike Evans, Chris Gowan, Julio Jones, Scotty Miller ain't winning one-on-ones consistently. Mm. Like that's you're gonna have to scheme a guy like him open and the Bucks offense just that's not how it's designed. And he's not a physical receiver. And you yeah. could you could tell that yesterday the way they were moving him around and putting hands on him. And he was getting frustrated with that as well. So uh you gotta factor in who he is. Now, right. does Tyler Johnson? I mean, I, and I'm not I know it's it's all past, it's spilt milk. I understand physically. Do they I, I think I always thought that Tyler Johnson was a lot more of a physical receiver yeah. than than Scotty Miller is. Scotty Miller's more of a finesse guy, run him on a, a, a nine route, and you know, that's kind of what you what you got him for. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think you know, and and the Bucks were, you know, at the beginning of the season, 
and the Bucks thought that they were, you know, good at wide receiver depth. That's crazy. I think Ledger also pointed out, like, the Bucks have gone above and beyond to make sure last season, the end of last season, doesn't happen. And yet it just, with the Evans here suspension, we are. And the <laughs> injury, and the Jones yep. injury, here they are again. And, like, I was, I think, like, yeah, the main reason why they kept Miller over Johnson was because of special teams. They were thinking that neither Miller or Johnson would even see the field, really, especially this early in the season. So, um, you know, I think probably if they had a do-over, yeah, they probably would keep Tyler Johnson. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is, just like you said. It's in the past and uh, just, you know, got to move on from it. But, yeah, I mean, the, the receivers as a whole, uh, really, I would say only really Russell Gage is like the only guy who really did his job good. Hindsight is always 2020. So when you talk about, you know, potentially letting guys go that you're going to want back later, well, when stuff shakes out the way that it has for Tampa Bay, the easy answer is like, yeah, they should have held on oh. to Tyler Johnson. Oh, everyone knew that. But go ahead. Oh, no, real quick, before we move on, I just want to say, I thought Brady was really good. Um, with with, yeah. with the with under, under the circumstances, Brady was really good. Um, he kept them in that game. Like, he kept the offense at least alive somewhat. Just like we said, there's only a few things like Brady got him in the field goal range and Perryman fumbled. That's not on him. Brady got him to the 50 and Gage fumbled. That's not on him. A few guys dropped some balls. That's not on him. You know, it's I, I thought he was pretty good. Was it a perfect game? No, but he only had 11 incompletions. Like, it, I, I thought he was really good. And like you said, the, the two-minute drill that he had before the half and at the end of the game, like – that's why, yeah, that's why you get Tom Brady, right? That that yeah. for moments like that, and unfortunately, the two point play and and everything, we can get into the delay game, but you know, it's just the two point conversion. It's a 50 50 shot, and yeah. uh, it's it is what it is. Well, when you handicap yourself with a you know a delay a game, which is a little tic tac, and it sets you back five more yards, it's going to make it even more. Here's of a the thing: on the two point conversion, it was a run. Do we yeah, really yeah. think they were? They, do we really think they were going to get any ends on there? Like they were being stuffed on the uh, 50, run all 50 night chance. long. 50, they, no, you're right. You're right. But you, you should have passed it, and it so was let me, a run. Let me ask you this. Uh, we'll probably find out on Aaron Rodgers Tuesday on the Pat McAfee show tomorrow afternoon. But Aaron Rodgers had mentioned to the media that, uh, you know, sometimes the Bucks show some things on the Jumbotron that they just shouldn't show at home. And everybody's grasping at straws to try and understand what he meant by that. But it seems like the impression is that he got some sort of advantage by something the Buccaneers showed on the Jumbotron inside Raymond James Stadium, and so much so to where Todd Bowles even addressed it today and said that he's going to have a conversation with the director over there to figure out what they can and cannot show on the Jumbotron. Any idea at all what that may have been? It, it Maybe it was an angle of leftwich talking or maybe an angle of i don't know I, I i have no idea maybe yeah a certain angle of the sideline or something that you shouldn't show or something with brady's hand signal something i don't know i i have you no know, idea ironically you know that they've played in 2020 they played uh green bay a couple of times and this has been pretty much the same regime um you know as much as i dislike aaron Rodgers or in i don't you know, it is what it is. The guy is the guy is super intelligent. He's mm -hmm. where he is for a reason. I'm sure that he's astute enough to have caught something and then, you know, kind of honed in on it and caught it again, maybe. And then he knew what to look for, you know, going into this game right here. So uh, like you, I don't know what it is, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that it's probably been been there from, you know, the time that Arians, the Arians regime has been here. So it's kind of my that was my take on it. 
Let's take a look at the other side of the football for Tampa Bay. We got a lot more good to talk about uh, with the defense as opposed to the offense, but they are not mistake-free, and I'll get to that here in a second. Your leading tackler on the day was Mike Edwards with nine tackles, four assisted tackles. Antoine Winfield had six. Jamel Dean had five tackles and one assisted tackle. He also had an interception, which was negated by a penalty. Now, the Bucs were able to take the football away one time at the goal line, which I believe prevented this game from becoming 21 to 3 at some point. Yeah. 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 If, if it was v- 21 to 3, you could have wrapped things up. Vita Vea drops back in coverage, levels the running back, forces the fumble, and the Buccaneers recover. Thank God that they did. And then, uh, of course, the other turnover they had was the interception. And I want to say that was Logan Ryan, right? Logan Ryan. That. Yeah, incredibly athletic play on his part. And then the the deep ball Jamel Dean interception, which would have been awesome. But again, another back-breaking penalty. Well, I, I will I will say, however, Rodgers only threw that ball because it was offside. Yeah, because he knew it was a free play. Yeah. Yeah. But I got to tell you, I know it was a rough start for this defense, but got to be happy with the way that they kind of hunkered down there in the second half. Pass rush wasn't quite as productive as you would like it to be. Only one sack on the day, and it was Logan Hall. It was a coverage sack through and through. In a big moment, too. Yeah, so you definitely needed it. Playmakers make plays, but uh, I don't know. What are your overall thoughts on the defense, Evan? Here's the the thing. Um, I thought the pass rush was actually decent. I thought Rodgers did a really good job of avoiding a lot of it. Uh, He had that one play. the the shovel pass? On the third down conversion. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they had him a few more times, and he did a really good job. Uh, This time, he was better prepared, I think, for the Todd Bowles pass rush uh, than he was two years ago. So, um, you know, and and I tweeted out, I said, that's the difference between an elite quarterback and who the Bucs have played so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. He's not an elite one. I think James Winston's a decent quarterback. He's not an elite one. Aaron Rodgers is elite. Like, that's the difference. You know, those guys can make those plays. Mm -hmm. So the Bucs didn't seem ready for it at first. They didn't seem ready for anything uh, at first. But, uh, again, with another Greg Allman tweet, it comes in a loss. But the way the Bucs defense clamped down on the Packers is wild. The first three drives for the Packers were 75 yards, 71 yards, 60 yards, and two touchdowns. The next eight drives were 90 net net yards, seven punts, and an interception. Like so, the defense was night and day. Sort of after that Aaron Jones fumble, the defense was just night and day. And without the defense playing that way, the Bucks would get blown out. So uh, the defense literally almost saved the day and almost won the game for the Bucks because they kept them in it long enough to be able to give the Bucks a chance to tie it. So I think. You know, there's a lot of obviously this Packers wide receiver room isn't the greatest, but being able to hold an elite quarterback like that to only 14 points when he gets 14 points on his first two drives, that's certainly impressive. And I think you got to talk about now is the the Bucks is clearly a top five defensive unit in the entire league. Yeah, I I love the defense. They they really came out. Uh, Logan Hall is playing playing better than I expected him. Uh, Joe Tryon is is continuing to improve, and we we saw a lot of plays where he's closer and closer he's getting getting closer to getting home um i love the i love what the bucks secondary has done this was a question mark um in the off season mm-hmm. uh you know what is this secondary going to look like and they've stepped up to the challenge and you know again i think this game against kansas city we're going to really get a good opportunity to see how they rebound from this game and you know if they can they can come back and play better um and the fact that knock on wood they've stayed uh you know 
injury uh, pretty much for the most part, you know, not getting dinged up or nicked up. I mean, that's, that's definitely helping them as well. Um, pass rush, you know, like you said, uh, I know you probably want to see more out of it. I thought they did a great job considering uh, Aaron Rodgers gets the ball out quickly mm-hmm. and uh, the way that they had designed a lot of the plays um, they just did, they had the defense on their heels. And the one thing that I will say, and I don't think it gets mentioned enough, Todd Bowles making adjustments and in Buck's history, I can't think of a, a defensive coordinator or a play caller going back to the Super Bowl era. That's able to come in and make adjustments, make positive adjustments and make them work. So what we've seen from uh, Todd Bowles so far uh, is, is positive where he's gone out and made adjustments and they've kind of settled down and, and, and done what they've needed to do. And I think the adjustment thing is clear because in all three games now, uh, the opening drive for the opposing offense has resulted in points. The Cowboys kicked the field goal. The Saints kicked the field goal. The Packers scored a touchdown. But then, at, you know, especially in the Cowboys and Saints game, the Cowboys and Saints didn't get nothing after that. And then the yeah. Packers only scored one more touchdown after that. So mm-hmm. clearly, you know, Todd Bull said he liked his defense to start a little bit faster, but you're right about that adjustments there. You know, that first drive could be a little rough, but right after that first drive, if they, you know, they make one or two tweaks and it just, it really seems to work. So hopefully they can keep that up for a full season. Yeah, to move on from some pieces over the offseason on the defensive line, Adamican Sue, Jason Pierre Paul kind of being phased out of that. But I'm going to be honest with you, maybe this is a radical take here. We're only three games into the season, but this feels like what this defense has been building up to since Todd Bowles and the rest of this coaching staff arrived way back in 2019. You know what I mean? Putting all the pieces together, drafting your guys correctly, building that nucleus of young, talented players, and then guys like Vita Vea just continuing to get better. I mean, this is the result of all of that, but one name who gets left out of the mix for another week in a row. We talk a lot about this three-safety set for Tampa Bay and how well that has looked Well, that leaves Sean Murphy bunting the odd man out there in the secondary. Another week, another zero snaps for number 23. It's almost almost becoming not even a topic anymore. I I know. I mean, we should just move on and say that, like, listen, he's going to be riding the pine until he's not. But, I mean, Gene, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Did you have any opinions on SMB coming into this season? Know that he fought some injury last year, and it was incredibly tough to bounce back on top of a rotating defensive backfield. But... Where has he been and what kind of expectations do you have for him? You know, honestly, you, you've got, you've got the hot group out there right now, and that's kind of what you want to roll with. And you don't want to disrupt that. I mean, it football is very delicate, even though it's a rough, rough sport. You, you delicate, if you, you know, disrupt the balance that you have on a defense, um, it could take a while to get, get fixed or it may not get fixed at all. So uh, I think that, you know, with this being the NFL, he will get opportunities to play. You're talking about 17 games in a season. He'll eventually see the field, and I'm good with where the Bucks are right now. I would just leave things alone. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate for him, but, I mean, with the way, with the way they're playing, there's, it's like you said, you don't want to mess up a, a good thing because – you mess up chemistry like that, and you just, you just never know if you're going to be able to get that magic back. So um, real quick about Vita Vea, he needs to be better. Like, yeah, he, he, for, he forced the fumble, but I saw a few times there was offensive guards putting him on his back. Like, I had never seen that before. Uh, I remember a, a run up, up the middle, A.J. Dillon almost ran him over. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. 
Um, but he needs to be better because, I mean, the run defense hasn't been as good. And, you know, the run defense not being as good, but the pass defense being better, the NFL is a pass first league. So I'll, I'll take that. But, like, the run defense starts with him. Like, it starts with him up the middle. And right now, he's just – he's not doing as good of a job as he has in the past. So, I don't know what's going on. I don't have, like, any long-term concerns. But, like, in the short term, like, yeah, like, he's got to be better. Like, he, he definitely has to play better. And I think once he does, I think, yeah, there, there could be no stop in this defense because once we're able to you – know, the Packers were getting four or five yards on every single run, it seemed like. And, and once you can sort of eliminate those and turn those into two or three yards on every play – it puts the defense in even more advantageous situations where they can, the pass rushers can tee off more turnovers can be forced. So I think what well, is that run defense and Vita Vey can get back to, to somewhat form. Uh, I think the defense could be even better, which is kind of hard to believe right now with the start they've had. Looking at the box score of this game is so funny to me because you had just mentioned the running backs and we had talked about the concern coming into this game that, hey, if Green Bay is going to move the ball effectively, it's probably going to start and stop with that trio of running backs they had back there. And uh, between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, both of them, 12 carries split right down the middle. Uh, Aaron Jones, 36 yards, three point yards per carry. And A.J. Dillon, 32 yards, 2.7 yards per carry. So, I know we talked a lot about how in the first half it really felt like Green Bay was able to just run that clock, dominate the time of possession. A couple of bucks mistakes tuned in there are going to help, but I'd say in the grand scheme of things, I cannot feel entirely upset with, uh, what is that, 68 yards on the ground between two pretty damn good running backs. I mean, they were Mm -hmm. a lot more effective against other teams. Yeah, it just, like I said, it just, you know, sometimes it just puts the Packers offense. The reason the Packers were able to convert so many third downs early was because a lot of more third and shorts. Like mm-hmm. the Bucks had to deal with third and longs. The Packers didn't. And a lot of that's because the Packers were able to get four or five yards on, on first down and the Bucks just weren't. So that was the story of the game real early. And, you know, it, it luckily it didn't continue for the defense, but the Bucks offense still struggled. Oh. Yeah, and I honestly love the way they their rotation. Nunez Rochas doesn't get mm-hmm. enough credit. Uh, you you had you had a lot of different players rotating I mean, D- in. Dejan Senate had, had a few, yes. few plays. Yeah, he stepped up a little bit too. So I'm I'm loving this line. I like how they're able to rotate guys in and keep everybody fresh. I mean, it was 100 degrees on the field. So and you're talking about I think it was like 81 percent humidity or something like that. Oh, at the dude. beginning of the game, yeah. it was yeah. And, and bro, <laughs> I'm here to tell you that that will. I don't care who you are. That'll wear you down. I don't know if I don't know if you caught it on the TV broadcast, but Packers had players throwing up all over the sidelines. Uh, Alan Lazard after the touchdown, he threw up. Yeah, Alan Lazard blew chunks on the sidelines, and and I and I feel like you know people who are down here like they know what that Florida heat is all about. Oh yeah. But when oh, a team yeah. like Green Bay comes to town, or you know when another team from up north who isn't used to that heat comes to town. Another thing that plays a factor, not a lot of people like overthink about this, but when the Buccaneers decided to wear white on white this week, they did it for a reason because uh, I I saw somewhere somebody had said that the Green Bay Packers in particular, their dark green jersey that they have, the average amount of heat that it adds to your body is like 10, 11, 12 degrees. So when it's already 91 degrees outside with a humidity of (laughs) over 80%, and you're down there wearing 20 pounds of pads. There's no a bunch of guys on the up. field. And Raymond James, unless you were on the, uh, 
I think it's the the west side. I think unless you are on the west side of the stadium, if it's a four o'clock game for the first quarter, you're going to be in the sun. And down there on the field, I think it wasn't until after halftime until they got some shade coverage and you could tell those guys were feeling it. It was rough in there. Mm Yeah, but real quick before we, we wrap up, let's just get to the final unit, uh, special teams. Jake Kamara has been impressive. Uh, the weapon. He, he, yeah, he, he has been impressive this year. Um, you know, love Bradley Pena, friend of the show, but uh, there, there's a clear upgrade there that they have in Jake Kamara. He uh, was pinning the Packers deep, not allowing really any returns because there's enough hang time on the balls. Uh, yeah, he, he's been really good. And obviously Ryan suck up making his two field goals, good doing I, his job. So overall special teams was good. I hate to give Green Bay some more credit here, but I also thought their punter kicked ass. Uh, oh, Bucks, yeah. Bucks yeah. were facing a very long field more times than not. And that yeah. was just another part of the offensive oh, yeah. frustration. It was an uphill battle all day. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, you, you kind of knew that if the, if the Packers had the ball at like the 40, you're like, oh, yeah, the Bucks are going to start this drive from the 10. Yeah, <laughs> it, exactly. It was, it was frustrating for sure. Yeah, um, Jake, Jake Camarda, he is the walking weapon, man. And I, I love the, I love the coffin corner punts. And um, he's actually pinning, he's, it's, it's strategic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's giving the special teams a chance to get down and cover. Whereas, uh, you know, again, opinion did his thing here while he was here but uh he wasn't doing the special teams really any favors uh when you consider hang time and um you know where he's placing the ball Mm -hmm. ryan suck up also two for two on the afternoon the only reason it was a one possession game down there at the end of it he gets six points for tampa bay continues to have a pretty good season to start things out only has one miss on the year and that was against dallas week one Yep. yep Yeah, cannot be mad with that. So as we wrap things up, I'll, I'll toss it to both of you. Um, this is like a this is like a it's hard to say it's a regular segment on the show because we kind of just do it whenever we feel like it. But Evan, do you have a take bag this week? Um, not really. Uh, I kind of said a, a lot of my takes there. There, there's some dispute over like the play clock thing, like whether it was at twenty or, or twenty five seconds for the two point conversion. Doesn't matter. You got to be um, ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, real quick, well, I guess my one take would be this might be a little controversial because technically, yeah, like you're more likely to score from the two than the seven. But for a two-point conversion, I feel like you'd almost rather it maybe from the seven because an offense would have more space to work with. Like, I mean, if you're going to draw it up the way that they did on that makeshift play, you know, I guess you'd want a little bit more room. But we had agreed earlier it was going to be an inside handoff. Yeah, it was it was going to be. And I didn't I don't think it was going to work. We don't know, but I don't think it was going to work. But like I said, I just I think like, yeah, given the offense more space wasn't the awful thing. Obviously, they didn't do it intentionally. Like they didn't take the delay game intentionally. But um, yeah, it's a shame. And I do think, like I said at the beginning, my one final thought is if the Bucks have the thing about it, everybody's like, oh, if the Bucks just have Mike Evans, they would have won easily. The Bucs had Mike Evans for the entire Dallas game, and they had him for 90% of the New Orleans game. The offense wasn't going crazy in that game, so I don't know why you'd say, yo, the offense would be so much different. Um, but I do think if they had Mike Evans and Julio Jones, if they had both those guys, which Todd Bulls says Julio Jones could have played, but he didn't. I, I don't, I'm not a fan of rushing guys back, but just like we talked about, this is a big uh, seeding game potentially in the conference. So I'm not sure why you wouldn't want to push them to play. But um, if, if I if they had Mike Evans and Julio Jones, I think they would have squeaked out a win. So there's there's my final thought. I will. Uh, they lost. So whatever. I will uh, respectfully I, disagree. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Gene. Oh, no, no. Oh, go ahead. Uh, 
I mean, maybe because I'm the biggest Mike Evans mark on the planet. And this is not new. All it, right. It everybody, is, everybody is the biggest fan of Mike Evans this week, but I want to let you guys know that I was I was 13 was my favorite player before it was cool. Um I, I think that just having I mean, either Mike or Julio it would have helped. No, it doesn't drastically change their production on offense because it probably would have looked more like week one and week two. But those extra two, three, or four chances a game where he can get open and make a play and Brady sees it, maybe they end up in the end zone. I mean, Brady threw over top two or three times. I think he made an attempt. Uh, one of them was to Cameron Brate, which was incomplete. The other one, I want to say, was Russell Gage. I was a little sloshy at the game, so I don't entirely remember but the fact of the matter is, neither of those guys could step up there and make that play. It would have helped. I'm not saying it would. It would have, it would have helped. Just, I just, I think if they have one of those three wide receivers that is a true wide receiver one that you can count on for 60 minutes, I think it would have given them enough to to not have to play the way that they did. But hey, that they lost either way. I think they've underutilized their tight end room. You've got Kyle Rudolph. You've got Cameron Bray, uh, Kate Auden. You've got some guys that you know, you're in the red zone. Um, why not utilize them? I know you're down Mike Evans, but these are guys, I mean, you look at uh, Rudolph, he's experienced. You look at Cameron Brait, he's experienced in the, in the red zone. These are guys that you really need to utilize. Well, well, I mean, they already had, they, they, they have their, their they had their tight end in the building because right, Rob, right. Rob Gronkowski was in attendance. So he was there. He was there, yeah. Oh. All I'm saying is there needs to be some some semblance of creativity when you're when you're down like this and this game means a lot. Yeah, run. That's I guess that's okay. But I mean, there are other opportunities. Tom Brady can you know pretty much dissect the defense, and you know if you're getting the ball out quickly, I, I don't know. I just I'm not. That's why probably why I'm not a coach. But I just felt like they they really the tight end room has been very underutilized. Mm. Uh, for in certain in certain uh, instances of the game, yeah, I mean, yeah, we we talked about it before on the show. Like they're just they're not getting much from the tight end right now, and it's you know it's um it's something. That's but I mean, them. when you're 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 talking about big bodies and you're talking about the end zone, uh, I just again I think that there are, are opportunities there that you know there are, are there are mismatches out there that can be had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Let's look ahead just a little bit because Gene, I uh-huh. want to get your two cents on this. Huge game for Tampa Bay next week. It is another game inside Raymond James Stadium. And this is a team that over the last two years has a reputation for playing well at home. And uh, I hate to say it, but depending on who's available, an 0-2 start inside Raymond James Stadium certainly doesn't seem out of the question. Uh, But offensively, what's got to change? You know, if you get somebody healthy, that's obviously one thing. But um, if you roll out this offense that you have the first three weeks of the year, even with Julio Jones and Mike Evans out there, I just don't think it's going to get it done against Pat Mahomes and company. Do your job. Mm-hmm. Do your job. I mean, the ball, the ball's on your fingertips. You got to catch it. I mean, I, 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 I'm not, you know, making excuse for Tom for Tom Brady, but there have been instances where the wide receiver room has not done him any favors. Um, you know, getting Donovan Donovan Smith back will be huge. I'm not sure if he's going to be playing or not, but then that helps you with your run blocking. I mean, he's a monster on, on run blocking that helps Leonard Fournette, uh, you know, to do a little bit more than what he's been doing. And after watching that Kansas city game against uh, the Colts, um, I think that, you know, you can run on Kansas city, to be honest. 
And um, uh, again, I, I think that, you know, the play calling has to get a little bit better and they need to overall manage the game a lot better on offense. They need to execute better. And, mm-hmm. and these are things that I know will come and I'm hoping it starts with uh, Kansas City. Yeah, Evan, we'll yeah. get into it on the game preview, but your closing thoughts. Yeah, no, it is, and just looking ahead, yeah, execute. That's the number one thing for me. Yeah, just, just execution. Um, I didn't think penalties absolutely destroyed them yesterday. No, but timing they were in, could not. Yeah, they were in the wrong yes. place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you know, in terms of the the number of them, it was okay. Uh, but I think it all it all comes down to execution, and they just they didn't execute in the key spots on third downs. They couldn't convert, and um, you, know, you go two for eleven on third down next week, and you're not going to win. Like so, you need to execute more specifically, execute on third down, and keep those chains moving. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you so much to everybody for checking out the show. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show. And, of course, Buccaneer News as it happens. Speaking of Bucks News as it happens, you can follow my co-host Evan on Instagram at Bucks underscore daily. You can also find him on Twitter at EvanNFL. And check out his written work at BucksNation.com. What have you got in the cooker this week? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing the the prediction uh, the prediction reviews again. My prediction was way off. I, I predicted that Leonard Fournette would find the end zone for the first time this season, and he I, I think I said like over 80 rushing yards. But shout out to James uh, James Hill, Mister Bucks Nation, because he uh, said Russell Gage would have a touchdown, maybe two touchdowns, but he was pretty close on his prediction, even though he stole mine. I was going to do Gage, but he got to it first. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, shout out to our very special friend, Gene from Buck What You Heard. Gene, where can the people find you and your awesome content? Uh, you can go out on YouTube. I'm there at, at Buck What You Heard uh, on Twitter at Buck What You Heard. You follow me, I'll follow you back. Uh, and you guys will be on next week, I'm hoping. Yes. Yeah, I know for sure I will be. Um, we'll figure that out. We'll touch yeah. base and, and get all that stuff. But I really am looking forward to it. Thanks for coming on, dude. It's hey, always no fun problem. chopping it up with you, talking Bucks football. It's just a very natural conversation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I enjoy it, man. Oh, and, and to the folks in the Bay Area, please be safe. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. These hurricanes are no joke. Um, if, it's, if you're asked to evacuate, please evacuate. We, you know, you can replace property. Uh, you can't replace lives. So just please be careful out there. Yeah, very, very true. Now, contingent on said hurricane, the next time we talk to you guys, should be Friday uh, for mm-hmm. our week four game preview. Sean King will be joining us for that one. So stay tuned for that. Maybe we'll sneak in a podcast between now and then as well. Just have to wait and see. But uh, we'll keep you updated. Social media, best place to go for all of that stuff. Last but not least, you can find myself, Instagram and Twitter at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. I didn't comment much on it, but it was my first time back in Ray J uh this sunday for the first time in a while and i gotta tell you there is nothing better than being surrounded by my people i mean uh the largest attendance number in the history of the tampa bay buccaneers organization they even highlighted some people who had season tickets for 50 years because they put down a commitment in 1972 to help lobby the nfl put a franchise in tampa bay and here they are 50 years later they were highlighted as the fans of the game it was an awesome experience. If you are able to catch a Bucks game this year, I highly recommend it. An incredible place to be. I'm your host, Rhett Matthews, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish, and our very special guest, Gene. We will catch you guys later. Until then, and as always, 
Go Bucks! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.